All right, Mets fans, we got something special for you guys today. We have come up with the 32 worst Mets of all time. Put them into a bracket, and we're going to tell you, without a doubt, who is the worst Met of all time, as determined by the Mets Up podcast. You guys will be able to find this. We're also just going to do a little bit of housekeeping, because there have been some things going on in the baseball world, including the Mets, and the Baseball Hall of Fame decision will be out by the time you guys are listening. Let's get going into it. Also, quick shout out. The boys got a SeatGeek code. So if you guys want to save some money buying tickets at sporting events, I think it's $20 off your first purchase. Use the code M-E-T-S-D-U-P. That's Metsed Up on SeatGeek. Save yourself some money when you're buying tickets. Doesn't have to be baseball. You want to go to a Knicks game? Save yourself some money. M-E-T-S-D-U-P on SeatGeek. What is up, Mets fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Mets Up Podcast. We have got a fun one. Like we said, it's going to be the worst Mets of all time bracket. That's going to be the big thing here today. But of course, we're sick in the head, even though on January 23rd, when we are recording this podcast, there hasn't really been anything going on in the baseball world. Me and James will still find a way to talk to you guys about some things going on, specifically in the Mets world. But first, before we get going into that, James, how you been, man? What's going on? It's been a week. Hasn't even been a week. We spent a lot of time together this weekend with the uh, <laughs> football playoffs going on, a lot of fun, and it's been good. Again, this just in the best baseball offseason, I feel like more so than the last few, has been such a drag. There's nothing yeah. going on. Like, what, four of the seven best free agents that we started the offseason with are still sitting there as free agents right now, and there is not even a murmur, a whisper, a peep about any of them, one of them. It's, it, it, it's aggravating that we're in a world where we have less than a month until pitchers and catchers report, and... Jordan Montgomery, Blake Snell, Cody Bellinger, no one has a team yet. Nope. Matt Chapman, I mean, a guy who would be a good third baseman for a lot of teams isn't anywhere. Jorge Soler, one of the best DHs. There are a lot of good players still available on the market. It's weird. Uh, it doesn't have that same feeling of the, what was it, 2018-2019 offseason when Harper and Machado waited until about late February, early March to get it going. But, uh, yeah, I mean... Just nothing's really going on here. One thing that did happen, though, was one of the guys that I wanted the Mets to sign, Robert Stevenson, did end up signing with the Los Angeles Angels on a three-year, $30 million contract. Um, so obviously, he won't be a Met next year. And to be fair, I mean, at that price point, I kind of get it. I think that's probably the that's the contract you would have had to have given him. I was just hoping like we could have somehow done like a one year, 10, 11 million dollar deal rather than multi year for a reliever coming off of what is easily the best season of his career. It's always a little dangerous. I believe it's also already 30 as well. And I know yeah. another part of it is that the Angels just gave him the most money of anybody in their bullpen. And last year, Carlos Estevez didn't have a very good year last year. He was fine. He has amazing stuff. But it seems like Stevenson's walking in there too close. Yeah. Which that like as the Mets, you can just never offer that. So the fact they gave him three years at at a time in his career when he just had one good season, the one good season was real. I think he had one of the highest swing strike rates ever for a single season for any pitcher of all time, which is amazing. Developed his cutter, looked great, but it's just it probably wasn't a realistic contract, and it just didn't happen. No, and that's pretty much it. Uh, Joey Gallo signed with the Nationals on a one-year $5 million deal, something that I wish the Mets would have been all over just because he's a guy who, when things are right, is an elite hitter. I know Mets fans are probably rolling their eyes at me talking about Joey Gallo being a great hitter, especially in New York, where he's shown it's probably not the place for him. So maybe that's why the Mets weren't interested. But I mean, that's like free for a guy who could hit 25, 30 home runs in a season if healthy. Totally. And again, people don't like that because of the idea with Joey Gallo, especially in New York, the idea yeah. of Joey Gallo. But that's kind of just beside the point where it also does. He wouldn't really fit in this roster with 
DJ Stewart technically. But again, we've talked about the fact that maybe the Mets will bring in one other like quadruple ADH, similar to where Vientos and DJ Stewart are kind of seemingly viewed by the organization. Yeah. So if one will be a lefty, one will be a righty. If they bring in a lefty, you send away Stewart. If you bring in a righty, you probably send away Vientos. But it does feel like there's like more momentum right now to the Mets just rolling at the season with those two guys at DH. And then also probably a mix of Starling Marte because he's old and a little raggedy. And that's just that's just kind of it. Yeah, that probably that's a good point too. The way that the Mets roster works, it probably is a little more beneficial, maybe to them right now, unless you have Jorge Soler to just have that DH spot as a little bit of a revolving door, so you could give Marte a day off. Maybe you could give Nimmo a day off. Even just give Lindor a day off once in a while, where he doesn't have to play shortstop. Uh, I'm sure that's something that the players would appreciate. But yeah, Joey Gallo, whatever. He's he's gonna have a monster year with the Nationals. I do think he's gonna hit really well in that ballpark because we know it's a sneaky bandbox for lefties, like you've said in the past. It is sneaky band box lefties, but that's enough about him. The other big yeah. move that happened, Josh Hader just got a monster yes. deal, a bigger. People got mad at it because it was reported as the biggest present day deal for a reliever in baseball, even though Edwin Diaz is more, but has deferrals on it. So it's also Mets fans getting offended by that, which is funny. Diaz is still better than Hader, but Hader now gives the Astros like the best one, two, three in any ballpen in baseball by far with Hader, Ryan Presley, who's sneakily becoming one of the best postseason relief pitchers ever. Well, he's done in the last five years. And then, Brian Abreu, who is also just completely lights out. Yeah, no, they have like debatably three top 10 relievers in baseball in their bullpen. That bullpen is uh, lights out. It's going to look very reminiscent of that uh, Royal 789 in 2015, which we know a little too well uh, as Mets fans with Kelvin Herrera, Greg Holland, and Wade Davis, which was pretty shut out. So that's pretty much on the player side. In terms of on the field, uh, the Mets changed their jerseys as well. They changed the black jersey and the black hat. We knew the black hat for a while was no longer going to have the white outline around the NY. But now the jersey's getting rid of the white outline. And I got to say, it's a terrible decision. I think it stinks. Especially now we're going like year to year to year. We keep making little adjustments to the black jersey. First, we removed the blue piping, which I also like. I thought it gave yeah. some flair, but I still thought it was fine. It looked really clean, which is the white and the orange and the blue on the black. Without the white, it's like, what the hell is this? It kind of just looks like a bad alternate jersey. And then that was piggybacked on more news that came out. On Tuesday from Uniwatch, uh, Uniwatch, I know he is a Mets fan, the guy who runs that account in that blog, that the Mets were going to be debuting their their new, new City Connect jersey this April. Yes. And the debut is either going to be April 24th or 26th. I forgot the exact day, but if you look at your calendar, that's a Friday night. Nice. So maybe maybe they're going to maybe I I've always, I thought for a while that the City Connect would be a black jersey with like a variation of like Queens or Flushing written on it. That's always like been the way I felt about it. Then they brought in the black jersey, so maybe not anymore, but Trying to like put two and two together here. We usually wear the black jerseys on Fridays. The City Connect jersey is going to be debuted on a Friday. It seems like it could be a variation of the black jersey, so we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of like the idea of an orange jersey being sprinkled in there for the City Connect just to change up. It get, you're so boring with jerseys. you got no style with baseball. Here's the problem. The way the City Connect jerseys work is that they match the pants with the absurdity of the jerseys. If I knew Not the all Mets, the time. But sometimes they do. If I knew the yes. Mets pants would be nice and normal, then I'd be like, yeah, let's do an orange jersey. Yeah, yeah. But if they walk out there with an orange jersey <laughs> and orange pants, I'm not going to go to the game. Like, I'm just not going to do it. If they have green pants like the Rockies, it's fucking ridiculous. Yeah, the orange pants would be bad. I agree. Like, orange pants, can't do that. Can't do that. If that's the deal, then I'm out. But, like, I don't know. The Mets... Nobody has, like, a really orange jersey besides the Astros that I can think of and the Orioles off the top of my head, but, like... The Orioles one's cool because they have, like, the, I feel like their orange is... I don't know. They, I like their orange jersey. It has a nice logo on it, but they wear white pants with it. Yes. It, like, if we don't do that... like No, it look terrible. And I'm saying, I think the, our difference with the City Connect jersey is that you interpret just the jersey. I interpret the uniform. You see, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a full-picture guy. You just want to wear it yourself because you, exactly. you love wearing jerseys. Love wearing jerseys. Jerseys are awesome. They're the best. But, uh... 
I don't know. I we'll take some predictions. I think a little bit later as the year comes closer and closer as to what the City Connects could look like. And I think Darren from the Seven Line made a mock up of one that looks really good. So I, I hope maybe they rock with his. I will say there's a hundred percent percent chance these leak. There is no oh, course, doubt yeah. that these are. And it's, it would have been really funny if we were still associated with the Mets and like we weren't allowed to talk about the leak of the City Connect jerseys because <laughs> we like got to pretend it would still be under wraps. But these are going to leak probably sooner rather than later. I'm sure. Just someone's going to have a tip. Someone's going to spill the beans and. It's because it's also happening in April. Like the jersey, like it's gonna be one of the first things to happen. Another thing we forgot to talk about: something else happening in April that I want to talk about briefly before we do this. The Mets announced the uh, number of retirement ceremonies oh, yes. of Doc Good and Daryl Strawberry, and they announced Docs for a Saturday in April, which I thought was not super cool. It's a little disrespectful, I think. It's a little um, early. It's a little, it could be cold. I don't know. The only reason that I can rationalize this is that maybe they're like, we're worried if we wait any longer, we might not be that good and people might not be in the stands. Like, we want to get people in early. We know that we have the best chance to sell out early in the year because you can't be too disappointed with how the Mets are playing at that point. One, I, two reasons that's not true. One is because they're doing Daryl's in June or May sometime. True. In the I know, but you can't so, have yeah. two like, loser ones. I don't know. I guess. I don't know. But also, I just, I really just don't even think the Mets are that bad. Like, more new fangrass projections came out today with, um, with an updated offseason move. It has the Mets at 84 and 78. It's just, it's I think this team is just really, really right there, competent, right on the line. So I understand what you're saying by that. But just, it just to me seems like a way to try and get people into the ballpark in April when they know that the offseason and just the way the feeling around the team right now might push people away early before the team plays well and proves themselves to get people back in the ballpark. That's what I think it is. Okay. So you wanted to spin the other way. Yeah. I think that they, I, I just don't, I don't, I think that's, they probably are a little worried about attendance, especially early in the season. Definitely. And just the feeling around this team right now. Again, I think this team we've been saying all off season is probably about a 500 team could go in either direction from there, but mm-hmm. I could definitely see some fear from them that this move says we want to have a sellout in April. Okay, yeah, you know what? I can buy that. I'll buy that take. I'm in on that. Um, also, just going back to the jersey thing that I remember too, this might be a Nike thing as well because the Yankees also removed uh, the white outline on their road jersey this upcoming for the upcoming year around the New York. So this is now two New York teams who have had white removed from their jerseys. Wonder if this is a Nike thing that's going to be happening with all baseball. We'll keep an eye out for it. But as you guys know, what you came here for, the worst Mets of all time bracket. We're about to get going into it. I got some nice graphics. If you want to see the YouTube video version of this, which will be slightly different, go over to our YouTube channel, Mets Up Podcast on YouTube. You'll be able to find all the episodes as normal over there. But we're going to have a dedicated YouTube video for this one as well. So if you want to see that, go over there and check it out. And without further ado, let's get going into this bracket. So the Mets have had like some good players, but I feel like when you think about them, you think about the worst players. You think about negative stuff usually. So over here on the Mets Up Podcast, we decided we wanted to go ahead and take some inspiration from Hivemind. Shout out to them. Great YouTube channel. They do brackets over there. We wanted to go ahead and bracket the worst Mets of all time. Now, this isn't necessarily just statistically based, but there's a lot of feel involved in this, a lot of money involved in this, as well as play and just fan sentiment in general. We asked you guys on Twitter, if you're following us on our social media, at Mets Up on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, as well as the YouTube channel, you could have gotten involved in this as well. We want to hear your guys' opinions too. We want to see you in the comments section. What do we get wrong? What do we get right? Who is the worst Met of all time? Let's get going into it. James, we have got a banger starting off in the first round we have got Robinson Cano going up against Daniel Vogelback. Robinson Cano first, of course, played with the New York Mets in about, what, 168 games, and he hit 269 with a 315 average, 450 on base, 765 slugging, and a 105 OPS+. But I think there's uh, something a little bit bigger that maybe we're missing here. 
There's so much more. Just the way that Robinson Cano was acquired by the Mets was this awful trade that everybody knew at the time was bad. Did wind up working in a roundabout way because Edwin Diaz, after a bad 2019 season, did become the best reliever in baseball, hands down. But it was just so obvious that this at the time, 38-year-old second baseman, former Yankee, who would come off a steroid suspension, was just never going to be the one that saved the day. And it felt so obvious that a new general manager who was way over his skis and not fit for the role he had was like, I want to make a splash. And then the funniest thing about it is that as those reports are trickling out on a cold December afternoon, 2019, either the week before or the week after the Knicks had also traded Christoph Porzingis, just a really fun time for New York sports fans. There were reports that Mets scouts were quote crying about the fact that they were trading their most recent first round pick, Jared Kelnick and Kelnick's career has been up and down since that was the biggest part of this trade. And there's a good chance he goes to the Braves and just makes us eat shit for the next uh, 20 years now. But it's it, the fact that we gave Robinson Cano $70 million and our best prospect for 168 total games and 24 total home runs across three seasons when he was merc- mercifully DFA in 2022 <laughs> makes him one of the most reviled figures in Mets history. I think the funniest thing is that we saw Robinson Cano's not only last home run as a a Met, but last home run as a Major League Baseball player on the home opener in the 2023 season. That's how we should have known the year was cursed when Robinson Cano hit his only home run of the season, or 2022, my bad, 2022, hit a home run on opening day. Didn't matter how good things were going. Robinson Cano kind of got us screwed from the start. Um, He's going up against a tough guy, though. Like we said, Vogelback. We don't think he's really that bad. Again, we'll read out the numbers for you again, but a lot of Mets fans, he was one of the most popular responses ever. And I think, I know why, but in 159 games, basically a major league season, 19 homers, 73 RBIs, hitting 241 with a 359 on base, 415 slugging, and 774 OPS for an OPS plus at 116. Uh, for those of you at home keeping count, those aren't bad numbers. They're just not great. No, he was not on the original production of this bracket but because we got such overwhelming response on social media we just felt like we had to include them to hear you guys but again he has no business being on this list everyone uses daniel vogelback as a scapegoat for how the 2022 season ended but after the trade deadline from the moment we acquired daniel vogelback to the end of the year he had a 143 op 143 wrc plus and 393 on base percentage both of those figures were better than juan soto from the time the Nationals traded him to the Padres to the end of that season, when they mercif- mercifully beat us in the postseason. So just mind you for a second, that he was technically a more valuable hitter than Juan Soto. The last- no one wants to hear that, but no. he was. Those last two months, 2022. And it could have been a lot worse for him. His mess tenure could have been a lot worse. And it just in this matchup, there's, there's absolutely... No way that Robinson Cano is going down. No, I mean, uh, he went down in the books as Vogel Fats, Danny Burgers, whatever you want to call him. People hate him because he was fat and because he didn't hit 40 home runs a year. But uh, James, I think we're moving on Robinson Cano in this round pretty easily, right? Not even a question. Next up, we have got a battle of uh, some interesting players here, a little bit different. We've got Roberto Alomar going up against Antonio Bastardo. Very different players, very different careers. Of course, Roberto Alomar, a Hall of Famer. With the Mets, though, uh, not so much. He played in 222 games, 13 homers, 75 RBIs, 22 stolen bases. Hit 265 with a 333 on base, 370 slugging, 703 OPS for an OPS plus at 88. It's unbelievable, especially given the context where the Mets had reached the World Series in 2000, made the playoffs at both in 98 and 99 or 97, 99, maybe all three. I don't remember. But this was a team that had real aspirations. In 2001, they came out and had a bit of a disappointing year. We're just around 500. And Steve Phillips, the the maverick, the, the gunslinger <laughs> that he is, was like, I'm going all in this offseason. We're bringing in as much as we can. And that started with Alomar. 
just before the new year. And they traded the time primed prospect to Alex Escobar, who the old Mets fans are like, he was, he was Fernando Martinez before Fernando Martinez, Alex Escobar. It's the best way I can put it. And even the year before the Mets got Alomar, who was already in his mid thirties, he had a one fifty one WRC plus he hit three thirty, he hit 20 homers, 30 steals, more walks and strikeouts. He <laughs> was one of the best players in baseball. And the Mets brought him in from that point on. He was dead. There was nothing. There was not one ounce of baseball left in this guy's body when the, when he was traded from Cleveland. No, I remember being genuinely excited because my dad told me, like, we got Roberto Alomar. He's, like, one of the best second basemen ever. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. Like, this guy's a stud. And then watching him play, it's like, this guy stinks. This guy's horrible. Like, this is this is one of the best second basemen ever. Uh, definitely a six-year-old Mark, not a big fan of Roberto Alomar in that 2002 season. I'd contend that he might have one of the biggest single-season drop-offs in batting average ever. Going from 330 to 260, from 2001 to 2002, Mets, uh, Guardian, uh, Indians and Mets. Yeah, it's it's definitely a, a rough one there. Speaking of which, though, Antonio Bastardo definitely had a rough 41-game uh, stretch with the New York Mets as a reliever. 4-7 ERA in 43 innings. He had a whip at 1.4. He had a FIP at 5.07. They eventually ended up trading him to the Pirates, which is probably the best thing that could have ever happened because they got back, uh, what, John Neese, right? That was the funniest thing about Bastardo. The best thing about both of these guys, Alomar and Bastardo, is that the Mets did this. They were like, oh, my God, we screwed up so badly. And they just traded them both as soon as they could. Get rid of both of them, just flush it out. But the, the Mets got Bastardo. He had a good little run with the Phillies and the Pirates. And then they just let John Neese go prior that year. And then they swapped him back. So John Neese rightfully could retire as a Met. And Bastardo could just never, ever don the orange and blue again. There are very few times I remember being at a game and like genuinely being upset at a player on the field. And Antonio Bassardo, me and my dad, I remember we had just gotten like the 20 game pack after the 2015 season in the 300 section on the first base side. And me and my dad are screaming because not only would he never throw strikes, he was terrible, but he would hold the ball for like 35 All seconds. Day. All day. He was a human rain delay and the guy stunk. This one's a little bit tougher than I think. Who are you going with, James? I think just for the lore, it has to be Alomar. But again, like thinking about our lifestyle, our our lifetimes, it like Bastardo makes more sense. Bastardo also has a special place in my heart, particularly because he was like the beacon, the biggest lesson for me when I was learning about baseball. Like you don't sign relievers in the middle class. You just don't yeah. do it. You can't do it. He got a two-year, $12 million contract, which that would probably equate now to like a two for 20, which is almost Robert Stevenson just got. <laughs> and Mets fans are screaming about that one. But this is the big flashing light. You don't sign relievers here. You go low or you go high. You do not sit in the middle. And that's the lesson I've taken with me forever. It's a lesson I hope I've bestowed to you guys now when we talk about relievers all the time in this show. But if I, I just have to push Alomar because you took a Hall of Famer who went to a team that had legitimate World Series aspirations, and they cratered to being one of the worst teams in baseball for the next three years. Yeah, I'm going Roberto Alomar as well. Like, I, it's more of a personal hatred of uh, Antonio Bastardo, but Alomar, like you said, was kind of way worse for just the organization in general there. All right, next up, as we move through the bracket, Gary Matthews Jr. versus Mo Vaughn, both of kind of a similar vibe where the Mets probably gave a contract they maybe should not have given, and that was held against these guys, but wow, did these two both stink in Queens. Yeah, Gary Matthews Jr., coming off of a horrendous 34-year-old season with Los Angeles Angels, was given a two-year, 20-plus million dollar contract by the Mets. I don't even know who the GM was at the time. might have been our friend Omar. might have been one of the worst contracts he's ever given out. Who knows? But he was so, so awful. Gary Matthews Jr., in his time with the Mets, put up, I mean, legendarily bad numbers. He only ended up playing 36 games. 
did not hit a home run, drove in one run, stole one base, hit 190 with a 266 on base, 241 slugging, 507 OPS for an OPS plus at 40. He was, for lack of a better term, absolute dog shit. Yeah, and I think that's one that it kind of gets lost in the fold a little bit because I don't know what kind of expectations were on Matthews because, again, he was never really a good player anyway. He just kind of had this name appeal, but coming to the Mets, he was much worse. And again, another time in Mets history where not one thing seemed to work ever no. for even a second. But then the other side, you have Mo Vaughn, who came to the Mets as legitimately like one of the better hitters of the late 90s. He never yeah. got the shine of Pujols and McGuire and so, not Pujols, of McGuire, Sosa, and um, why, why am I drawing? And Barry Bonds, of course, no shit. Yeah. What am I doing here? Because he just didn't have like the gaudy home run numbers, but he had a 10-year stretch, one of these being with the Mets as well, from 93 to 2002, where he had a 300, 390, 540 triple slash, and then he had 300 homers in 1,300 games. Like He yeah. was dominant. He had a 10-year stretch. He was great. And the Mets, even acquiring him at 34 years old, you figure, okay, 33 years old, maybe the prime's over. This is that same offseason, too, as Roberto Alomar, 2001. And he got hurt. And he got hurt again, and he put on a bunch of weight. And he was okay in 2002 for a Mets team that was abysmal. And then by the time 2003 came, he could barely play anymore, and that was it. Yeah, I mean, I, I loved Mo Vaughn. I was really, really excited because he was in backyard baseball, and that was like my early baseball video game, and he was such a dog in that. So I was super excited when the Mets got him. And he was good in that 0-2 season. Like, there is no doubt. He was very good. He just was so incredibly terrible in 2003 which also kind of leads me to pick Gary Matthews here. I, I tend to lead towards Gary Matthews because we need some guys who genuinely were just like awful. Gary Matthews never played again in the majors after that. Oh, neither did Mo Vaughn, of course. He retired True. at 35 years old right after the Mets. Body completely broke down at 33. But I, I do agree with you. And I do want to use this bracket to put, do a little bit of revisionist history to be like, Mets fans hate this guy. They might not have been that bad as a, yeah. as like a preview of what we're going to talk about later on. But I'm with you. Gary Matthews Jr. to the next round. Little 90s uh, matchup here. We got Carlos Baerga going up against Vince Coleman. Two guys who came in with crazy high expectations and similarly to a lot of these players uh, did not live up to them at all whatsoever. Coleman is always a guy that especially our dads will go back to and older Mets fans is being like, this was like one of the most disappointing things that ever happened. And that's because he came into similar to Alomar and Vaughn, where this was a Mets team in 1990 that really needed a spark. And they thought they still had like the pieces, the foundation of a team that could make a run. And they gave Coleman at like 11 million at the time, which probably translates to like 60 million today, <laughs> and the, which even this still feels a little cheap, but he was someone who had a lot going for him. And he was just, a complete train wreck. He had nothing. He was a six-time stolen base champion before he got to the Mets. He did none of that with the Mets. He got hurt. He got suspended. He was just kind of a jerk, it seems like. Nothing went well for Vince Coleman in New York. Yeah, Vince Coleman's average dropped his stolen. I mean, he never stole more than 38 bases with the Mets for a guy who was routinely stealing 70, 80, 100 bases in the beginning of his career with the Cardinals. The one thing I will say is he was never a good hitter, like ever. And he actually had some of his better like OPS plus years with the Mets, but he for sure was not the same player that they paid for. Whereas Carlos Baerga completely fell off. I mean, the face of the earth when he got to the Mets, he was a guy who with Cleveland was pretty solid, like a just good second baseman. He got all-star appearances, MVP votes kind of thing. And then he got to the Mets and it's, I mean, seemingly forgot how to hit, like just didn't look like he even knew how to play baseball anymore. True. But again, you have a guy in Vince Coleman who they thought was going to be like an all-star fixture atop of the lineup. And then he got in a fight with their manager in the dugout. Like this is, not, <laughs> this is the, I don't think these two things are the same. Like these, they're very different. He <sighs> apparently one time he injured Doc Gooden say, seemingly practicing his golf swing in the clubhouse. <laughs> 
<laughs> like this was generational levels of, of fucking up. Like it was it's unrivaled with the things that Vince Coleman was apparently doing oh, with this Mets team. Man, this one's tough, dude, because Bayergo, like Bayergo was like rocking like an 850 OPS with Cleveland. And then he came to the Mets and he had a year where he had a 550 OPS with them, <laughs> followed up by 707 and 667. Like his slash line for the Mets career is that of like Joe McEwing, who is just not a good player, but not on today's video. Apparently, there was an incident in the Dodgers parking lot where Vince Coleman threw a fi- threw firecrackers at groups of people, including children. Oh. Okay, yeah. well, you know what? That changes it. Vince <laughs> Coleman's moving on to the next round. Vince Coleman has to get on there. He's the guy, this guy was facing felony charges, multiple felony charges as a member of the Mets. Okay, Vince Coleman moves on. That's an easy one. You start throwing fireworks at kids. We got we to gotta move you on to the next round here. It's unbelievable. Next up, oh, this, is, this one here hits home. This one is a personal... Two of my least favorite Mets to ever put on the uniform. We've got Roger Cedeno going up against Jason Vargas. Both players who had two stints with the Mets. They went to the Mets, left, came back, and were definitely terrible. Definitely terrible. Cedeno, if I'm going to give him any credit here, he did have that one year with the Mets in 99 where he was a solid player. He stole 66 base at 800 OPS. It's kind of crazy because I definitely don't know that year as a three-year-old. I remember him in 02 and 03 where he was just completely ass. Oh, three. I learned to hate Cedeno so much that made me extra excited when Jose Reyes was called up just so I could see that stolen base record not exist anymore, <laughs> where I was like, I really don't want this guy to have this record anymore. Like, I really can't stand watching him play. Those are the first two years I really remember. It's like watching baseball, 02 and 03. And I just remember Cedeno looking at this guy like, why Why is he a baseball player? Like, he doesn't really look like a very good baseball player at all. But then you go no. to Jason Vargas, Mr. 88, someone who was in the middle of one of the funniest I want to call it, I don't know, like locker kerfuffle. room. Inc- yeah, kerfuffle, locker room incidents we've seen in our adult lives as Mets fans. Shout out our friend Tim Healy for being at the center of it where Jason Vargas just threatened to, threatened to hit him, threatened to beat him up <laughs> in, the, in the middle of a press conference where he was asking pretty fair questions of a manager who was doing objectively a bad job. And yeah. Jason Vargas like, I'm going to hit you. And then also the greatest like little Easter egg in like modern Mets lore is that just a man who looked like he was transported yes. from the 1700s, like standing next to them, who we found out later on, like as the last few years, he still works for SNY. I think he's a stats guy there or production does something for them. But one of the craziest moments of Mets that we've had in like the last 10 years, because we go like 50, it's like something that doesn't even get talked about. But that's, that was a moment in time for sure. Yeah, in terms of uh, least favorite hitter of all time, Roger Cedeno's him. And in terms of least favorite pitcher, Jason Vargas is up there. The one positive I'll give Vargas is that he got traded to the Phillies for uh, the Wilpons' friend, like their, yes, their buddy. Family friend. Who, yeah, family friend who was a catcher. horrible catcher at the University of Michigan and somehow became a major leaguer and then came to the Mets and stunk, which that's a shocker. But Vargas then went to the Phillies and sabotaged their playoff run in 2019, pitched even worse with them. So I think I'm going to vote Roger Cedeno because he at least did something positive in my life, Jason Vargas, which was ruin the Philly season. Vargas... And 196 and two thirds innings with the Mets at a 5.26 ERA. That's so bad. It's crazy bad. That That's is so one, bad. The tenth worst in Mets history for any player that pitched more than 50 innings for them. And the other mo- most of the rest of the top ten are on this list. You guys are gonna hear about them. Don't worry. But I, I'll give you Cedeno just because. Okay. I don't want to argue right now, but I do think that Vargas was just maybe worse. Okay. Okay. I, I'll keep that in mind for the next time we have a disagreement, and maybe I go your way that time. Maybe that's how we work this one out here. Because uh, the next one. Mets fans, one of your guys' favorite players. We've got Paul Seawald going up against, shout out, Jorge Toca. Probably a name a lot of you guys haven't heard in a while. Uh, James, I'm going to let you get a start on your boy, Paulie Seawald here. Just to preface, I still 
like Paul Seawald. I think Paul Seawald was a was an under um a poorly utilized player with the Mets. I don't think very clearly now that we've seen the last five years gotten the most out of Paul Seawald's talents. That being said, Paul Seawald, while he was with the Mets, because that's what this is about, while he was with the Mets, was statistically one of the worst pitchers that we've ever had in the history of this organization. From 2017 to yeah. 2020, Paul Seawald pitched 147 innings, which is a shocking amount of innings. You think about how, <laughs> how long he was actually on this team and how bad he was. A 5-5 ERA, and this is the craziest stat, one win and 14 losses and 15 decisions over three years. He was one in 14? One in 14 over 147 innings. And those Mets teams weren't great, but they also really weren't that bad. Like, he could no. have found more ways to get into these situations than that. And he also wasn't exactly a high leverage guy with the Mets either. And, again, I give Paul Seawold all the credit in the world because he went to the Mariners, and now he is on the Diamondbacks. He was central to their World Series run. He is a great reliever, one of the better relievers in baseball now. Mark still hates him, hates his guts, yeah. but I appreciate that Paul Seawold holds the Mets in such low regard that he hates them, hates the organization, and feels the chip on his shoulder every single time we play against each other. I respect that kind of hate. We'll get a little more chances out of him now that he's with the Diamondbacks. We'll uh, be able to face him a little more consistently than necessarily with when he was with the Mariners. Yeah, I hate Paul Seawald. Uh, he sucked. Just so many bad memories of him coming out onto the mound and throwing 88 and just getting absolutely, getting his tits lit, as Keith Hernandez would say. Uh, but Jorge Toca is in that category of legendarily bad Mets players. He was a Cuban slugger that came over to the Mets in 1999. There was a little bit of hype around him because he was this big, strong dude, was supposed to bring power. And Jorge Toca played 25 games for the New York Mets. Granted, 7 for 27. Like, that's not the worst slash line ever. But he didn't hit a single home run. He had one extra base hit. And he finished with a slash line of 259 average, 259 on base, didn't ever walk, not even a single time. Struck out 11 times. 296 slugging, 556 OPS for an OPS plus at 45. And for those of you who were around for Jorge Toka when he was playing, you might remember he also could never hold on to the bat. He just constantly was letting go of the bat and it would fly into the stands when he was hitting. So it just seemed like a guy that maybe was never actually very good. Never drew a walk, never hit by a pitch, um, struck out 11 times in I mean, 27 big league plate appearances, never had a sack fly. It was just the whole thing was just legendarily bad from beginning to end. That being said, Paul Seawalt's clearly moving on to the next round. Yeah, we're going to make this one personal. Paul Seawalt's moving on to the next round. I, I can't talk much about Jorge Toka outside of what I just gave you. Paul Seawalt, though, I got a lot to say about that guy. We'll keep it on uh, the next one here. James, your boy up next, Rafael Montero. Rafael Montero versus Jason Bay. This is a true battle of the Titans. Maybe the biggest heavyweight we've seen so far in the first round. This is like when this is like when UNC is a bad regular season but gets hot in the NCAA tournament and they wind up being like a like a ten seed and they're going up against a four or a, yeah ten will go up against a four is six a six a six exactly. whatever yeah. March Madness I don't care but that that's what this is. These are two stalwarts here and Rafael Montero was supposed to be the big prospect. He came up with a higher higher uh, prospect ranking than Jacob Degrom. They debuted on back-to-back -back days my dad was like hey these two rookie pitchers are pitching let's go to one of these games who do you want to see i was like let's go to this montero guy he's ranked higher i think he's going to be better mets got shut out by masiro tanaka a nine inning shutout and it was miserable and rafael montero i mentioned it before he has the worst era in mets history for anybody who's thrown at least 160 innings five whoa the more worst. than the other guy more than the other guy in 160 innings at least he has the worst he threw 192 innings with the mets 28 of those being starts and 20, uh, 20, 30 of them, 30 of them being starts, 28 of those innings being in relief. It was so horrible. It was so awful. He was supposed to be so good. And the worst part was that he left the Mets and has become a good reliever ever since. Yeah. Like that, that's a story with so many of these guys. Like they'll come to the Mets after being good and be bad. 
Montero is that rare one where he started off with the Mets, same with Seawalt. He leaves, and now he's good. Yeah, I just remember being uh, in high school on the JV team. Shout out Mr. Miller, coach of the Westfield High School JV baseball team, Kenny Miller. And he would, big Mets fan, we're talking about like Syndergaard DeGrom Montero. And he was just like, what's the deal with this Montero guy? When's it going to come around? I'm like, he's a top prospect. He's got to get better. Never did. Never did. One of my first misses that I can remember as a, uh, a youth about evaluating a player, whether he was good or not, of course, didn't really know that much, but yeah, Rafael Montero, especially looking back on it was pretty horrible, but was he worse than Jason Bay? Now, Jason Bay, it's a tale of, he kind of got a little bit unlucky too. Like he got a concussion, he had injuries, but, and he had the great wall of flushing, which literally killed his career. Um, he also got paid way more money than he ever should have because he had a sick year with the Red Sox when he could hit the ball 270 feet off the green monster, and it's either a home run or a, or a double automatically. But he is also one of the first players I remember being excited about and then quickly hating immediately. Like, what is happening? Like, it clicked in my head that day. I think, what, 2010, we were 14 years old? Yes. I think I was like, why, why does this only happen to the Mets? Like, this was my first, like, Mets fan crisis of, like, what is wrong with this team I root for? It was such a moment where every Mets fan can, like, remember the feeling that they felt when they were hurt by Jason Bay. Because he came in, the Mets near the corner outfield, they near the power hitter. He seemed to be exactly that nice oh. guy. Coming from the Pacific Northwest, Gonzaga guy, like, had, like, a great time on Pittsburgh, had that great run with the Red Sox. You're like, oh, nice, yeah, Jason Bay. And I even remember being at that game on opening day where he had a triple and he had another hit and he had a run scored. And I was like, oh, Jason Bay hitting fifth left fielder. Like, this is the way baseball's supposed to be. And it got so bad from there, especially given the fact that the Mets gave him a four-year, like, $70 million contract. They were very close with Matt Holliday, who went on to be a multi-time all-star spurning the Mets for the Cardinals at the same time. And it, 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 it was one of those sliding glass doors moment when you're a Mets fan, you're like other teams get the good players and we get the bus. And that's yeah. kind of the PTSD that sticks with fans to this day. It's why we're doing this a uh, little, little bit right now, but he was such a disappointment to the fact that it just, it like, again, it hurt Mets fans for a generation. Yeah. And this was like coming off of like city field was opened in what 2009. Right. So it was the second season, like new stadium, they're spending money. They brought in K rod too. There's just so much hype around the guys that had been brought in and he just couldn't, he couldn't even stay on the field. The, the best stat about Jason Bay I can think of is that every single year from 2004 to 2009, he hit at least 21 home runs. And every other one of those seasons, but two, he hit over 30 home runs. In the three years he played with the Mets, he hit 26 home runs. So uh, I got a feeling, well, my vote's Jason Bay. My vote's Jason Bay. Jason Bay is moving on to the next round. All right. Finishing off the left side of the bracket here, we have got Kaz Matsui going up against Paul Wilson. Uh, different hype on both of these guys. Of course, Kaz Matsui brought over from Japan in that 2004 season. He was one of the best players in Japan at the time. He put up, like, actually insane numbers in Japan. I don't know if you guys know this. Like, I can't even blame the Mets because Matsui, in back-to-back -back years, hit 33-36 home runs, had 36 and 46 doubles, stealing, like, 20 bases a year with an OPS right around 1,000. The last two seasons he played in Japan, he was 28 years old, so he was in his prime. And he got started off hot. He hit the home run in the first pitch on opening day, and it was like, oh, my God, here it comes. And then Kaz Matsui uh, stunk the rest of his career. Yeah, that's another game I was at, too. I saw that first Kaz Matsui home run. I was like, oh, my God, we got this guy. And the weirdest stuff about Kaz, too, was that when he came over, there was that 
provision in his contract where he had to play shortstop, and yep. then he kept making error after error after error, while Jose Reyes, who just come up the year before, one of the most exciting players we'd seen as Mets fans, the first exciting Mets player ever, I'd ever seen in my adult life, <laughs> not my adult life, in my life, the first time I was like, that guy's good. He had to play second base, and his he had a cannon for an arm, Cass couldn't throw, he had stones for hands, and it was such an unmitigated disaster, and it hurt so bad the whole time, and it's just... It's almost you look like well, how how could this possibly have happened? And you 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 think back to like those two thousand four, two thousand five, and eventually two thousand six Mets, and you're like, wow, like if that money was better spent, like what that could have could have meant for this organization. <laughs> if Jose Reyes could have played shortstop, the position that he was good at, like Kazmatsui was a little bit of a prima donna per se uh, when he came over here, and he just did not live up to the hype. Another guy though, Paul Wilson, talking about hype, part of Generation K. Uh, and just simply never did. He got one chance to pitch for the Mets, 149 innings in 1996, the birth year of Mark and James, and uh, 5.38 ERA, a whip at 1.5. He was just horrendous. This is another one where we don't feel it as much because we weren't there when it happened. But again, talking to older Mets fans, cousins, dad, when the hell Generation K, especially led by Paul Wilson, didn't work out, it was like, I don't know. It was like a family member had been shot. Like it was, <laughs> it was like they, the, the amount of distrust and sadness, especially coming off all the joy of the eighties. And then thinking you had another build up to the nineties and thinking about those nineties Mets teams were like how, again, like how much better they would have been with like two more pitchers in the front of that rotation where if two of these guys would have worked out, it would have, but Wilson also dealt with injuries. It just, it never, it never happened. It never even really got close. And, just kind of goes to show, you know, Mets are, you know, starting pitching. But you build with starting pitching, these massive troubles that you could find. Oh, 100%. Uh, I'm going Kaz Matsui. Who are you going? I want Kaz too. Again, this yeah. is just, it, it, it hurts. It hits us harder when we saw these guys. I'm sure if we saw Paul Wilson, we were part of that. But just like the, the joy of Kaz Matsui. And then the fact that in his entire major league career, he had fewer home runs than either of his last two years in Japan. It's just <laughs> like there's, there, it's, he, it, you can't beat them. No. Going over to the right side of this bracket, I am excited to talk about this one. This is God. this is a banger right here. We've got Tom Glavin going up against Oliver Perez. And James, I know you've been chomping at the bit to talk about your favorite Met of all time, Tom Glavin. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna be quiet. I'm gonna let you take the stage here. I hate Tom Glavin. I hate Tom Glavin so much. I hate Tom Glavin more than most Mets that have ever led. And the, the worst part is like, he wasn't even that bad with the Mets. Like they signed Tom Glavin because he knew it was old. They signed him as 37 year old. He was coming over from an amazing hall of fame career with the Braves, won tons of divisions, only one world series though. And he, they were like, we want someone to stay this rotation. That was when outlier was still here. And the, it was feeling kind of good. You were starting to get this thing together. And then he, Again, he was totally fine. I think his career with the Mets, he had like a 3-6, 3-7-ish ERA, like no issues there. Won some games, lost some games. Him going out in that game in 2007 and throwing the stinker that he did against a Marlins team that was really awful and then having like no care in the world about it. Like it didn't even matter. So nonchalant, aloof after the game. It, it, I, I, I'll never even forget it. And the fact that he's the only player ever wearing the Mets jersey to get his 300th win while a member of the Mets team for all the great pitchers that have come through this team. The fact that it wasn't Tom Seaver, the fact that it couldn't have been Nolan Ryan. He was fucking Tom Glavin. I hate Tom Glavin. Whenever I watch Braves games, I put him on mute. I just can't, I can't stand the guy. I can't, I can't deal with his smugness. I can't deal with his attitude. He is pretty funny. I'll give him credit for that. Like all those guys were cool. Like he was a hockey goalie, yada, 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 cool stuff. But I hate Tom Glavin. Yeah, I mean, he shit the bed the, when we needed him the most. He absolutely crumbled, disappeared, and then went back to the Braves the next season. So yes. and he, he was great 2006. He was a big reason that team did what they did. Like, he yeah. had an awesome year. It was probably his best 
encapsulated year with the Mets. He was an all-star. Like, he had a great job. He he threw 180 innings, like, every single year with the team. He's not like he got hurt. It's not like he failed. Like, it's not like he failed what was he was signed to do. But when the lights were the brightest, he did nothing. Yeah, I mean, just like he did with the Braves, because as we know, they only won one World Series with him, and they were in the postseason every single year for, what, like 15 straight years? So, you know, maybe not big game pitcher Tom Glavin there. I was going to say, he also did, he pitched okay for us in the postseason 2006. He did lose a very critical game to the Cardinals, but he didn't really pitch poorly in it. But again, yeah. that 2007 game, that will stick with me my whole life. That Mets team was uh, like a juggernaut, and the way it blew was the worst. I just got a feeling I'm not going to be able to convince you here on Oliver Perez, because, I mean, here's the thing. If we're talking worse. Oliver Perez was definitely worse. Like he pitched a very similar timeline ish to Tom Glavin. Like he got there in 06 and was horrendous. And we know what he did in 06 as well. We don't, we don't have to talk about that one too much, giving up that, uh, that big home run, but uh, he just kind of was never good. Like he had that one season in 07, which go figure the year Tom Glavin stunk. He was good. But then the other three seasons after that, he was a disaster. He was mentally uh, bizarre to watch play baseball because he would hop over the line. He would change how he was throwing randomly. Seemed like sometimes he wouldn't even agree with what whatever the catcher put down. He'd throw whatever he want. He was just bad. This is what I'll say about Oliver Perez. One, met him. Nice guy. Had a beer with him at the Diamondbacks playoff uh, game against the Phillies. So he was a cool dude. Uh, and two, he somehow turned it into a 20-year career. I don't yes. know how. Just being a lefty, I guess. Crafty lefty. But he definitely was worse with the Mets. <laughs> He, the funny thing is about Perez, I've talked about that weekend with Tom Glavin, but the fact that that Sunday game, that Friday game, Ollie blew it, if you remember correctly. I think he walked like five guys in the first inning. Yeah. And I was at Shea Stadium that night. And Stop that was going to games. I mean, no. I've been better recently, but back in those times, it was just bad. Uh, but the moaning and groaning in that stadium, that was when everyone was like, oh, this is actually going to happen. Like, we're yeah. going to, we're, we're really going to blow this. And um, that was it. And especially coming off with that year where he was, Probably the second and third most trusted pitcher on that team. He threw 100, he threw 180 innings. He made uh, 29 starts. The year after, he made 34 starts. Like he was out there. It was just he was signed as a guy who like they were trying to project upon. Like we can make him better, and he did have again that one very good season. But uh, the Mets just weren't weren't fit as an organization at the time to get more out of a guy like Oliver Perez. So who's your vote there, James? Who are you going with? It, it has to be Tom Glavin. I hate Tom Glavin. Is is this the one I'm going to give to you to let you have Tom Glavin here? Yeah, you definitely should. Okay, I'll, I'll move Tom Glavin on. My vote would have been Ollie, but I'll move Tom Glavin on because you know what? I also hate that fucking loser. I hate him. Fucking brave. You can never get out of him. The next up matchup we have here, one that I think you guys probably want the most. <laughs> yeah. uh, Darren Ruff versus Pedro Estacio. Mark, yes. I think everyone knows about Darren Ruff. Tell the people about Pedro Estacio for a second. Yeah, Pedro Estacio is a guy that I will admit I had a better memory of how he pitched uh looking back at the numbers he was horrendous with the Mets he was really really bad like genuinely one of the worst pitchers in Mets history 228 innings of 5-2 ERA with a whip at 1.4 uh, he just didn't do anything good he was a part of some of the worst Mets teams of my lifetime 02 and 03 seeing a theme here with a lot of these players usually with a lot of the losing teams on the Mets have some of the worst players of all time uh, he just wasn't very good and I think they gave him a pretty decent contract as well coming over from Houston and Colorado where he'd been pretty successful um, but I don't know if he stacks up against Darren Ruff there's no way Darren Ruff had a legendarily bad uh, two-month stretch with the Mets and again I don't think it was technically all his fault for some reason the second the Mets trade for him to be there you know their designated hitter their their lefty masher he just they decided to throw him in to pitch in a yeah. game against the Braves that gotten out of hand <laughs> that he actually hit a double and had two RBIs in before he entered the mound. And in that instance, he pinched a nerve 
and he didn't really take any time off at the time for pitching the nerve. He ended up taking a few days off, like a few weeks later. But he, in total, had 10 hits and 74 at-bats with six runs scored, seven RBIs, only three extra base hits, and a shocking 22 WRC+. plus. So he was yeah. 78 worse than league average with the bat, which is hard to do in two months. Yeah, he was genuinely um, felt so bad for the guy, too. So, so bad. Like, I did not... We're, we're not the Mets fans who want to root against these guys. Like, we're talking about hating Tom Glavin, and I hated Roger Cedeno and Jason Vargas. I don't want to hate these guys, but he made it really, really hard to root for him. And whether or not he deserved as much hate as he got, um, you know, Buck Walter definitely put him in awful situations, too, facing righties at times late in the game. They're like, hey, Darren Ruff, you need to save the game against a righty, something you're not good at, something that the Giants never made you do. Um, and also the fact that that trade got crazy overblown, trading J.D. Davis and four minor leaguers who no one gives a shit about anymore. Um, it's probably still Darren Ruff, though. I'd love to ask Mets fans who was in that trade, because I don't think anybody can remember. I can, only can I guess? Can... Yeah, I guess. Who, who was in okay, that trade? Okay, so we got Thomas Apucky. We got yes. J.D. Davis. Yes. We've got... Oh, what's... Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. It's going to be tough. Was Carson Seymour one of them? Carson Seymour was one of them. Okay, Carson Seymour. Then there There's was one more the, you're forgetting. Uh, Zwack, Nick Zwack. Yes, there it is. Nailed yeah. it. I mean, who, where are they now? I don't know, but... I mean, I don't think... Maybe Seymour gets to the major leagues. He throws the hardest out of all of them, but there's definitely nothing exciting in that trade. So that, that was yeah. a big reason I got overblown, but it doesn't get past the fact that he was one of the worst hitters in baseball from when they acquired him to win not. Yep. Darren Ruff moving on to the next round for a rough Glavin matchup coming up in round two. Going to be That's previewing big. that one soon here. Next up, we've got a battle of terrible pitchers. Jared Eikhoff versus Victor Zambrano. Uh, Jared Eikhoff was someone that I fought to get on this list. James, you were not as big of a proponent, but I did then read you out the numbers of yeah. Jared Eikhoff with the Mets, and it's laugh out loud funny. So he pitched in 2021 with the Mets. 19 innings, he had an 8.69 ERA, he had a 2.03 whip, so every inning, on average, two guys got on base, whether it was a hit or a walk, and he gave up 19 earned runs, 30 hits, he walked 10 batters, I mean, it. he hit three, it's shocking how bad he was. My favorite Jared Larkoff star is that he gave up 19, uh, nine home runs in 19 innings pitch, so on average, a home run every other inning for Jared Larkoff, and the worst thing that he did, because again, this was a situation where the Mets were totally out of options, that, if you guys remember that summer of 2021, it was, it was crazy out there, like, uh, John, uh, what's his name, uh, James McCann was playing first base, like, Jared, we yeah. needed Jared Larkoff to pitch, as when we learned about Tyler McGill, but he came up and then went down because he was horrific. And then they were like, you know what? Yeah, just do it again. We want, Let's just come up again a couple of weeks later. And the worst thing that Jerry Lykoff did by far is that he, I don't know if you remember this, but he totally spurned the Braves' run. Yes. On the July 27th, this was like about a few days after Ronald Acuna tore his ACL, Jerry Lykoff pitched a game at home against the Atlanta Braves, didn't make it out of the fourth inning, 10 earned runs, three homers. <laughs> and that, and the rest was history. The Braves were on a run from that moment on. They never looked back. That would gave the Braves the belief that they could do it. They went out and they got all their depth pieces that caught fire at the right time. And Mets fans, we could blame Jerry Lykoff for the Braves' 2021 championship. Yeah, that's um, that's a tough one. That's a tough one to swallow. There, he was legendarily bad. Uh, Victor Zambrano, I think, was not as bad but was probably more hated. And again, it kind of has to do with the fact that he was traded for Scott Casimir, someone who Mets fans were obsessed with, a young pitching prospect who loved being a Met, wanted to be a Met, got sent to Tampa Bay where, at the time, the Rays were not the Rays that they are today. So that was like a death sentence to go to that team. It was like, oh, God, I have to go play in Tampa. 
And we got Victor Zambrano back, who was supposed to be this, this steady pitcher who was going to give you great starts every game. And while he wasn't as bad as I remember, he still wasn't good, like, at all. No, the worst part about Victor Zambrano, again, when the Mets acquired him, I think most people realized he wasn't good at all, besides yeah. the, the illustrious Jim Duquette, who I think executed this trade, <laughs> if I remember correctly. No in baseball, nowhere. But Zambrano coming to the Mets, you guys know I love to talk about strikeout minus walk rate all the time. And Zambrano was the king of the opposite of this. He <laughs> just walked guys left and right, even coming to the Mets. These were his strikeout minus walk rates before it happened. League average for this hovers around 8 to 12. If you're really good, if you get above 15, the best guys in the league sit at 20. 2002, 1%. 2003, 3%. 2004, 3%. He was basically walking, same amount of guys he was striking out. And the Mets were like, here, take our best pitching prospect for it. And there's another one where it's a compound issue to where Victor Zambrano, by the time 2006 got rolling, the Mets were like, you can't be anywhere near this team because you're a disaster. We don't want you to pitch ever. If you have a, like an ascending Scott Casimir at that time, maybe the whole thing winds up differently. You have one more relief option. You have one guy to make a spot start. Like, there's this is the like that, the compounding of Victor Zambrano is the part that kills me the most and always will. Yeah, it's the, it's the crux of Victor Zambrano. It's just that's a whole there's a whole lot besides what just happened on the field uh as to why he's one of the worst. So, are you going Zambrano? Who are you going here? I think I just have to go Zambrano again for the volume cuz like Ikoff wasn't a part of any Mets season and any Mets roster that could have actually been anything. Like he yeah. was just generationally bad, but we also knew how bad he was. Like every time Ikoff went to the mound, it was a meme on Twitter. Everyone's like you got to be kidding me with this guy. <laughs> Whereas Zambrano, the trade for Victor Zambrano could have cost the Mets a chance at a, a championship and more postseason berths. Yeah, I was actually leaning Eikhoff until you, you brought that part up about how is the, the walk per strikeout thing. I didn't That's realize shocking. that he was rocking like a 1% K to walk ratio. So funniest thing about Zambrano too is that his first start with the Mets, he actually got in that bat before he pitched. The Mets had batted around before he got to the mound and he almost blew that game. Nice. The Cubs. Yeah, Victor Zambrano, you're on to the next round. Jared Eikhoff, you're a fun story, a little blip in Mets history for sure. Now, moving on, uh, another matchup of a reliever from the last 10 years who I know Mark hates and someone who is truthfully a favorite for this entire bracket in yeah. Guillermo Moda versus the famous, the uh, the always, the dependable Jed Lowry. Yeah, Guillermo Moda, a part of the, the crew that re revitalized the Phillies in 2007, really gave them some, some hope going down the stretch, losing some big games against them in August and September. Um, Guillermo Moda sucked. He also was enemy number one of my boy, Mike Piazza. He threw at him in spring training. Mike Piazza went out to the parking lot after the game, waited for him. Apparently had to be like escorted away because Piazza was seeing red. There was a huge spring training ball brawl. Shout out to my dad for waking me up to watch Mike Piazza face Guillermo Moda because he was like, these guys hate each other. I want you to watch this meaningless spring training at bat. And I'll never forget the brawl. Joe McEwing was like, foaming at the mouth he was ready to fight someone so badly i um, mean he just sucked with the mets he was terrible he had a good 2006 where he was big down the stretch for them for sure but in 07 he was horrendous um really bad but i will say going up against um jed lowry who Legend. for those of you who have been watching my channel for a long time know uh the meme of me being excited about the mets originally getting jed lowry because he was a good player he was great he was so good i thought he was exactly what the mets needed and you look at his career, and he finished with uh, zero hits in nine games and a negative 61 OPS. Do, is there anything else that needs to be said? Two years, $20 million. The same vibe as when Brady Van Wagen and Trey Verams and Cano is like, we're going to legitimize this team right now. And almost every single thing he did was either wrong, stupid, or both. 
Yeah. And again, Lowry just Lowry was a good player, had a good career, came up with the Red Sox, was pretty exciting for them. I think he was around. Uh, no, he just left before that that World Series they won in 2010s. He was on a lot of really, really good Oakland A's teams that were routinely in the playoffs with him being a central contributor near the top of the lineup for many years. The year before the Mets signed him, he had 23 homers, like career high. <laughs> like he, the guy was playing a little bit, and then it was just a total fiasco. No hits, no hits, $20 million for zero hits. That's He's unbeatable in this to me. He also did not play the field. Did not even nice. get into the field defensively for the New York Mets. And he had the little uh, helmet with the two flaps. Yeah, he was a switch hitter. He had the double yeah. the double flap helmet. He looked like a little dork. And I'm sure he's a nice guy, but this is a lock to move on to the next round. Moving on. Jed Lowry. Next matchup here. Funny one because we have a meme and then someone who, again, is a real competitor to win this entire thing. John Mayberry Jr. versus Aaron Heilman. Mayberry Jr., he was awful. Terrible with the Mets, terrible for most of his career. Probably just rode the coattails of his dad being a good ball player for a while. <laughs> and um, he's the funny guy who was like, he hit, I think it was fourth in a line, one of the Mets lineups in 2015, like July, where everyone was like, what are we doing here? Like, we have to make <laughs> trades. Like, we can't, we, we have a good team. We can't keep going on like this. But that doesn't really compare it to Aaron Heilman doing what he did to, to my, my childhood specifically. I, I, I take back everything I've said about all the other players. I hate Aaron Heilman more than I hate anyone that's ever put on the uniform for the New York Mets. Like, there's a there's a world. I'm going to say this where if Chase Utley put on a Mets uniform, I'd still hate Aaron Heilman more than I would Chase Utley. He just brought me so much sadness and so much anger. I think it was the first, like, that was the first time I ever realized, like, oh, like, sometimes pitchers are bad. Like, these, sometimes <laughs> there's just bad juju around a guy. From the day this guy came up, he was horrendous. And while he did have a couple good seasons sprinkled in the 2000s with the Mets, it just felt like every time there was a big moment, every time there was a big out, any time that you needed something from Aaron Heilman and he came into the game, he blew it. This guy thrived in low leverage situations. But anytime there was pressure, he would shit his pants. I saw him at the MLB draft combine. It took everything in my power to not go up to him and tell him to go fuck himself. <laughs> and also, he was a first-round pick by the team. Great college yeah. pitcher at Notre Dame. Like It seemed like he was going to be a guy who was going to come up and change things. He, which which hit did he give up in 2006? It was he he gave up the the actual the Yachty. Yeah, he did. Yeah, I thought you, said, I thought you mentioned before Ali, but I was like, I really think it was Heilman. But no, Ali gave up, I believe, to Sotoguchi. Yeah, that was another game I was at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one I was, okay, that I was, was leading towards. Yes, that was why. Yep, yep, yep. All right, but I just again like John Mayberry Jr. He came up. He was like big guy. Him and I think it was Dominic Brown was the other Philly yes. outfielder. They're coming up at the same time. I was like, damn, these guys are good. We got to worry about the <laughs> Phillies. They just won a championship. Can't let them out of our sight. But they were awful. It's it's Heilman all the way. Yeah, I agree. It's got to be Heilman. I hate him. I hate him. I, oh, God. I hate this next guy, too. Jeez, I hate a lot. There's a lot of Mets players in these 2000s I really hated. Was I even a fan at this point? I was horrible as a kid. Luis Castillo going up against Jim Fregosi. Uh, a little bit of an old school. We got we to throw a couple old school guys in here for uh, the older listeners at home. Let me talk about Luis Castillo first before I let you get going. He came in similarly to kind of like Roberto Alomar-ish way of like, Good player, great with the Marlins, won All-Star Games, good fielder, good fielder, good fielder. I want to stress that, good fielder. And he came to the Mets, and his batting average plummeted immediately. He hit 245 in 2008 with the Mets. He hit 235 in 2010. Uh, finished with a career average of 274 with the Mets, by far the lowest of any of the three teams he played for. He was a horrendous fielder at second base. We don't need to bring up um, him dropping that, that pop-up that A-Rod hit against the Yankees and Shout out Matt Storks for calling me on my home phone and be like, did you see it? I'm like, yeah, I fucking saw it. Of course I did. This is hell. This is a nightmare. Uh, Luis Castillo was the bane of my existence as a 
10, 11, 12, 13 year old as a Mets fan. I just hated him. And he was, he was bad. He was genuinely terrible. So bad. He came to the Mets as someone who at the time was like kind of one of my favorite players in baseball. And there's another guy where the Mets gave up assets to get him in the middle of 2007 or eight, which one? So the Mets traded, I mean, at the end of the day, like it didn't really matter. They traded Dustin Martin and Drew Butera to the twins, but they yeah. did go out and try and improve the team by getting him. That's what I'm saying. So like this was a time where the team was reeling near the spark and like Luis Castillo, he's a good player. He's been around the league for a while, like tough second baseman, puts the ball in play before we really any of us knew anything about baseball. And he was abysmal. And that was like the beginning of the end for like that kind of like number two hitter in the lineup where it's <laughs> like killed it. I'm going to slash the ball the other way and like hope to steal it back. Then people. Yeah, he had this. He had this little swing where he was just inside out the ball. I think I remember when I was a kid, like when I was not playing baseball well, my dad be like, you're swinging like Luis Castillo. And I'm like, Shit, you're right. I am swinging like Luis Castillo. I'm trying to inside out the ball the other way and get a knock. But he was terrible. But then you go on the other side of this and another one where if you ask the generation before of Mets fans, this is probably their answer. Jim Fergozzi. And it's a shame because Fergozzi had, truthfully, all in all, a tremendous career. The real problem, though, with Fergozzi was that he just happened to be traded from the California Angels for Nolan Ryan, who, yeah. as we all know, was a part of the Mets 1969 championship team, went on to be one of the greatest pitchers in the history of baseball. Um, and Fergozzi, again, had an amazing career. I was looking at it before, like doing research for this. Fergozzi, in all shortstops in the history of baseball, top seven in war through their age 29 season, the history of the game. <laughs> The history of the game. He had a 10-year stretch of stars crew. We're like, oh, this guy could conceivably be a Hall of Famer. But it was a, it was a skill set that was probably not very valued at the time because he was like a 260, 270 type of hitter with like a little bit of power, a little bit of speed, and played good defense. But he came to the Mets. He didn't know how to play baseball. He, in that 1972 year, hit five homers in 100 games, had a 230 average. It's the kind of thing that kicked you out of the league back then. And again, <laughs> situation where this Mets team, the 72 and 73, of course, were in the thick of it. And they gave up real assets for this guy, Jim Fergozzi, who was nothing. And then he leaves the Mets, and he has a good little spurt at the end of his career with the Rangers, probably with Nolan Ryan on the same team. Uh, I don't I, – I kind of – I'm okay voting for Gozi, but I want to vote Castillo because it's more personal to me. So my vote's Castillo. I'm with that too. But we are we also are doing a thing now where it's only the guys that we saw are moving on. That's true. That's true. Ah, man, dude, you can't move on for Gozi. Is was he worse than Castillo? Is there like let's break down the numbers here a little bit because they both hit probably about the same amount of home runs, which is a little more concerning because Luis Castillo was not known as a home run hitter by any means. Fergozzi as a Met hit about 230 in the 70s. Like 230 in the 70s, the kind of thing gets you burnt at the stake. Yeah. Oh, man. Jim Fergozzi had a lower OPS plus than Castillo, too. And, again, with all this, no matter what, whoever moves on here is losing to Heilman in the next round. So it's okay, not, this, is, this is a low-impact play. This is like eight versus nine with the number one seed, Kansas Jayhawks, waiting for the next matchup. I move Fergozzi on. I move Fergozzi on. Fergozzi takes it. Now, as we close out the bracket here, the last two matchups, we have Juan... Samuel versus a favorite of mine personally, Corey Oswalt. Uh, Mark, talk on Samuel. Juan Samuel, and I know it was a different time, um, but was genuinely uh, awful. He was terrible <laughs> with the Mets. So you talked about like in the 70s hitting 230 was bad. In the 80s, it was also still bad. Juan Samuel with the Phillies was disgusting from 84 to 87, like literally crazy good. I didn't know he was this good. Slash line wise, no. Counting numbers-wise, yes. He was a middle infielder who was averaging 20 homers, 36 doubles, 15 triples, 83 RBIs, and 52 stolen bases a year with a 770 OPS from age 23 to 24. The Mets got him in his 28-year-old season, and he hit three home runs, hit 228 with a 599 OPS. Uh, genuinely one of the worst slash lines I've seen for a guy who got to consistent playing time. 
why is there this theme of all these guys having been a member of the Phillies organization? Because I know Sam Wells even gone back to the Phillies in the last few years and been like a special instructor coach type of thing. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I guess they just love that awful city, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I guess that's it. But in 80 games of the Mets, there's there's probably no one worse than that. But I'll raise you a pitcher who could have been worse than that, and that's Corey Oswald. Corey Oswald has the record for the highest ERA in the history of the New York Mets for any pitcher through more than 50 innings. That's a special title because of what's gone on in this organization for the last 60 years. But a 5.89 ERA over 94 innings. Um, how many strikeouts there? 70 strikeouts in 90 innings. It was it was so bad because every single spring training, especially Corey Oswald will come out pump 97. You I'd be like <laughs> here, I, I'd be like, if Corey Oswald sits 97, like he's gonna be a good pitcher. And every time April would come, he'd just back in 93, 94, and he, the ball would be hit to the moon. And I I went to the end of Corey Oswald's career being like, maybe he can do it. He went in that little stint with the Giants in the minor leagues after the Mets got rid of him. And I was like, Oh my god, he's throwing 97 again. Maybe it could really happen, but never got that chance. He's terrible. He was terrible. He was awful. He's one statistically might be the worst pitcher in the history of the New York Mets. It's a disaster how bad this guy was. This guy will be part of the reason why this podcast exists because just me and you talking about Corey Oswald for hours in our in our um, living room during COVID was probably part of the reason uh, behind creating a podcast. Like we should record this stuff and, and put it out there for the internet so you can hear our takes. Corey Oswald stinks. He stinks. He like I, I could not watch him pitch. He'd be on TV. I'm like, I got to get out of the room. I cannot watch this guy. Um, I'm moving him on. I don't really care about Juan Samuel. Yeah, Corey Oswald's the next round. Now, the last matchup here of the first round, the moment you guys have all been waiting for, Bobby Bonilla versus Jacob Rame. Um, this, this is a banger. This one's a banger. It also hits a little close to home because Bobby Bonilla is very famous as being this like hilarious, disastrous Met in where you actually look at what he did with the Mets and it really wasn't that bad. Yeah, he was like, uh, in terms of like being a Met, he hated being a Met, it seemed like he didn't want to be there. He had all these issues with like his, uh, you know, just kind of whole ego. He's a bit of a, like, had a little bit of an ego on him, but he actually played well. Yeah, he was also from the Bronx. It's a good chance he was a Yankee fan. He just didn't like the Mets. But 1993, one of the worst seasons the Mets have literally ever had, the worst team money could buy. Guy was an all star. He had 34 homers, 270. Like he, he was, he was as good as he possibly could have been for a team that was that bad. But, infamously with his big contract the Mets wanting and needing to buy him out they decided to uh stretch it out and give him a million every year for about 25 30 straight years on apparently the order of his wife because Bonilla has apparently not been the smartest with money over the course of his life so one of the greatest contracts ever signed and every single June we all get to celebrate Bobby Bonilla day together but I don't know if that compares to Jacob Rehm per se yeah, uh, I mean, Bonilla had that awful 99 with the Mets where he came back, which is also crazy when he came back. Um, but he was he was horrible That's as a 36-year-old. That's, I think, also what skews what people remember about Bonilla because, like you said, he actually was good in the first stint. He was actually a really good player. Jacob Rame, on the other hand, was never good um, with the Mets. Didn't even, I don't think, have one good appearance necessarily. He was a part of the Curtis Granderson trade. He was a player to be named later from the Dodgers. One of the few rare times you get a player from the Dodgers and they stink. Uh, you know, teams like the Astros get Jordan Alvarez. The Mets get fucking Jacob Rame. I mean, could that have even been the same year that they were traded? I don't even want to actually look that yeah, up because no. that would hurt me. But Jacob Rame in 47 innings as a reliever with the Mets, which is about 46 too many. I could have given him an inning in two thirds. He had a, he had a 6.23 ERA. He gave up 53 hits. 33 earned runs, 11 home runs, 24 walks, and he only struck out 40. So he had like a K rate of like 18% with the Mets. He walked 30% of the batters he faced in 2019 in six innings. Like he was just, he was a guy who legitimately gave me stomach aches when he'd come out on the mound. 
the most unbelievable thing about Jacob Rame is that right now, at this second, he is only 30 years old. No way. He's 30? Yeah. He's 30 right now. He's Ernie's age? Yes, he's Ernie's age. Whoa, that's uh, ten, crazy to think uh, about. 10 months older. But I just, I think I think Bonilla is too much of a, of a meme not to put on. But again, want to stress, statistically with the Mets, he was, a, he was like a joke, but he wasn't really that bad on the field. So your vote's Bonilla, huh? It technically is, yeah. Uh, my vote's Jacob Rame, so I think what we're going to do... I'll, really, I'll give you Rame just to piss off the people. Okay, yeah, well, give me Rame. I was gonna, I was gonna flip a coin. I was gonna let yeah, the coin all right. decide. All right, we'll move on, Rame. Anyway. Then good, Jacob Rame onto the next round. Now we are onto the uh, the the next rounds here. So we're not gonna dive too deep into these players because you've heard of it. Let's get it started here at the top. We've got a banger between the second baseman Robinson Cano and Roberto Alomar. Uh, pick your guy and just give me one reason why you think he's the one who should move on. Cano because it was it was stupider at the time. Yeah, I tend to lean towards Cano too. Probably actually played better than Alomar, but the steroid suspension. Yeah, at least Alomar was coming off some good, some good stuff too. But yeah. Cano is, I just I'll I'll never forget the Cano. Cano is such a bad Met. He's so embarrassing that if you guys follow uh, the Met stuff Twitter, metsdup, I've been trying to do a stupid bit where I'm posting like a bad Met from history with this many days until spring training because all the other outlets are like, oh my god, 31 days till spring training with a picture of Mike Piazza. So I posted a picture of Rob, Robbie Cano over the weekend, 21. Uh, 24 days till spring training and Twitter put the sensitive image thing on it. I didn't even do that myself. They said, this image is graphic. Let me know if you want to see it. And you click it. It's a picture of Robinson Cano in a Mets jersey. That was kind of yeah. funny, but yeah. it's Cano. Yeah, it's Cano for sure. Uh, just just one of the worst players. And he was keeping guy, good players out. So Robinson Cano, you are moving on to the next round. Next up, we have Gary Matthews Jr. versus Vince Coleman. Honestly, I think this one's kind of easy. I don't think there's a lot of discussion. It has to be Vince Coleman. It has to be Vince Coleman, especially knowing that he was throwing fireworks at children. Um, yeah, mul- multiple, be... multiple felony charges while as a member of the Mets is bad. Like Gar- Gary Matthews Jr. makes it on here as a more personal thing of remembering how bad he was, but Vince Coleman like hurt a generation of Mets fans. Yes. Now, next up, we have... Who do we move on? Was it Cedeno? Yep, we've got Cedeno going up against Paul Seawald. Oh, wow. This this is actually a tough one. I'm, I'm going to let you make your pick first. Ah, I don't know where I'm going here. I think so much about what's gone on in the last five years, Paul Seawald becoming legitimately one of the best relievers in baseball and how much he still hates the Mets and our fans. And again, no, no, no ill will towards him because he was just misused and he found a way to develop and he turned himself into a good major leaguer. It looks like it could be for a pretty long time. But as a Met, again, one in 14 in 150 innings. You can't get, you can't get worse than that. This is the worst Mets ever. He's one of the worst Mets ever. Yeah, I hate Cedeno, but Paul Cedeno had one year that was good. Paul Seawald had maybe six innings that were good, so I'm going to move him on, and he's such a little piece of shit, too, waving goodbye to the fans when he wins, but whatever. All right, next up, this this is tough. This is the hardest Jason one. Bay versus Kaz Matsui. I mean, my heart, my, my heart immediately goes to Kaz Matsui. I'm going to say it. My heart immediately goes there because oh, does it? Does it, is it just, were we just stupid for thinking he was going to be this good? But also the numbers he put up were insane, but Jason Bay did it in the majors. Both of them felt like it couldn't really miss because Kaz was so good in the Japanese league. And this was like not very long after each row. Like this was like, everyone was trying to, you know, get, get it going then. But Bay, like looking back, you're like, wow, we were dumb. Like that, that, that left field just swallowed him up. Especially after we watched what happened to David Wright the year before. Like, why (laughs) did we get... A righty bat who has like fringe power instead of real power. Like, why was this the plan? Why did we do this? And I don't know. He got hurt, felt bad, but it just. <sighs> Jason Bay. <laughs> Jason Bay was so bad. 
I think it just has to be Jason Bay. Jason Bay was the face the face of this tweet that went out. So I just I think it just has yeah. to be Jason Bay. Okay, I think you're right. I think it has to be Jason Bay. It has to be Jason Bay. Moving on to the right side of the bracket here, Ugh. we've got the tough one: Tom Glavin versus Darren Ruff. I'm going Darren Ruff. Tom Glavin hurt us more on a, on in a specific moment, but Darren Ruff genuinely put up one of the worst stretches in baseball history. Yeah, Glavin was too good volume wise to not to be considered this bad. I guess so. Just yeah, yeah moving on, Darren Ruff. Moving on, Darren Ruff. He's moving on to the next round. He's going to be going up against a tough target. Uh, we know it's going to be Jed Lowry, right? We don't even have to. It's Jed just, Lowry. It's Jed Lowry all day. Not even uh, over Victor Zambrano. Yes, over Victor Zambrano. Next up, we've got Heilman versus Jim Fregosi. Again, I think this one feels similar. I understand the old heads might be feeling more Jim Fregosi, but Aaron Heilman ruined my childhood. So e- Even the old heads saw the 2006 NLCS. That's true. I hope they stuck around. Maybe Jim Fregosi was the last time they rooted for the Mets. You don't know. I'm done. And now the last matchup of the Sweet 16, we have Battle of two of the worst pitchers that we've seen in the last 10 years for the Mets, Corey Oswald versus Jacob Rame. And I, just, I think it has to be Oswald because he was as bad and pitched more. Yeah, I, I was I was like, I want to put Jacob Rame on because I think, but like, whatever, Corey Oswald pitched more innings of bad baseball, so it's got to be Corey Oswald. He just genuinely hurt the team more than Jacob Rame ever even could have tried to hurt this team. Not even possible. So we've got a hot, hot Elite Eight coming in here. We've got Robinson Cano versus Vince Coleman. Who do you got, James? Again, this is one where I feel like if we were of age in the 90s when all this Vince Coleman shit was happening, we would have been like, this is this is like one of the worst Mets of all time. And I really yeah. still think that as bad as Cano was and as much as he jogged to first base and didn't really care, try and got injured and then and then didn't play hard and then hit for a little bit and got injured again and then just finally just walked away silently into the night in 2022, thankfully, like. It just seems like there was too much that Vince Coleman was doing where he could be considered. He, he just might be the worst acquisition in the history of the team. And, th- and that's yeah. con- even considering the Mets gave up their top prospect to pay $70 million to, ro- to 37-year-old Robinson Cano. Yeah, Vince Coleman had about 40 to fi- 45, 50 extra base hits in his uh, career with the Mets. Robinson Cano had like 25 home runs or almost had 50 extra base hits in one season. As much as I hate Robbie, I think we got to move on Vince Coleman. And again, all Cano did with the Mets off the field was just like be kind cheat. of a yeah cheat like be a little shithead and then get suspended again where vince coleman again was facing multiple felonies yeah and was bad and also played poorly wasn't yeah. a good player Both so did. vince coleman moving on paul seawald versus jason bay God. oh wow there's a right answer there's a wrong answer but there's also both i, I can see both sides here this is funny because i feel like these two almost like look a little similar they're both kind of yeah. same same build paul uh, seawald could be canadian they both remind me of the Pacific Northwest a little bit. Um, oh, this is tough. They I both played pro- for the Mariners. Both played for the Mariners. I think it just it has to be Jason Bay, right? I'm saying that while closing my eyes because I'm really trying to rack my brain, find a way to put Paul Seawald in the Final Four. But Jason Bay means more. It's kind of the Vince Coleman pick. Of, yeah. Like, Paul Seawald genuinely sucked, but at the end of the day, he was a reliever who came yeah. in in low-leverage situations and was bad. Paul, Jason Bay was brought in to be the guy and couldn't even be the seventh, eighth-best guy on the team. He was bad. No, that bad. And again, got injured. The stadium was a disaster at the time, but yeah. it was there, there was nothing that could be done there. It was terrible. Again, the acquisition cost. He made $70 million. Paul Seawald in and out for was free. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Jason Bay. And, and again, Paul Seawald, like, he's still going on to have a great career. Like, Jason Bay, that was we we, we killed him. We killed him, Jason Bay, moving on to the final four. 
Uh, next up, we have got Darren Ruff versus Jed Lowry, two guys who played such a few amount of games, but they were legendarily bad. Um, my vote is Jed Lowry, simply because he didn't even get a hit with the team. He didn't even play an inning in the field. That's that's unmatched for a guy who got $20 million. And you know what? It wasn't even his fault. He got hurt. Whatever was going on that was weird with those phantom injuries. But... No, I don't think it was. Apparently, it was the Mets didn't allow him to get his surgery. Because oh. they... Yeah, that was always the story around Jed Lowry. Okay. He wanted to get an operation. They were like, you got to try and rehab and play. But still, like, I, 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 it just has to be him. I, don't, I feel for Jed Lowry because he could have been a good player. He was a good player for before. Sure. He was a okay player after. But we're just looking at this in the lens of while you were a Met. And while Jed Lowry was a Met, statistically, you could not have gotten any worse. Couldn't. Even Darren Ruff had a few hits. Jed Lowry had none. Jed Lowry had a negative 61 OPS plus. That's the same thing as WRC plus for you guys at home. Uh, essentially, someone could have not, you could have put up nobody. You could have put up a ghost to hit, and they would probably have done a better job than Jed Lowry. So, with that saying, you could have looked at every pitch and done significantly better than Jed Lowry. Yes. Yeah. 100%. Me or you could have hit like that. There's no world where we couldn't have a negative 61 OPS plus with the New York Mets. So, Jed Lowry moving on. And then we've got the matchup of just awful pitchers, Aaron Heilman and Corey Oswalt. Um, I'm going to say something crazy Eileen Corey Oswalt. I definitely don't. I think it has to be Heilman because you have to consider what happened in the most important situations. If Corey Oswald yeah. pitched in a playoff series and and gave up and gave up all these runs, I would tell you yes. But the fact that Heilman, okay, Corey Oswald's probably like statistically one of the worst players in the history in the Mets. But similar to some other guys we've talked about, it just it, the lights were never on. He was never a prospect. Like it was, yeah, he was in the middle of some weird Mets seasons, got innings because of how bad the roster was, and then just didn't couldn't really cash in on it. But Aaron Heilman was a guy who, like, if he would have hit, like, even the 50th percentile of his outcomes, the Mets have a ring to show for it, if not two. And yeah. he didn't deliver, and he'll, I'll remember him forever because of that. Yeah, he was a big part of the 2008 collapse as well. Um, yes. Yeah, it's got... Oh, you know what? I don't care. Let's just move Heilman on. I hate him, so let's move him on, and I got no questions to ask. I feel good about that. We are now into the final four, which consists of Vince Coleman, Jed Lowry, Jason Bay and Aaron Heilman. First matchup of Vince Coleman, Jason Bay. Who's moving on to the finals in your opinion, James? One sentence. What is it? It has to be Jason Bay because he affected my life more. Like he, Vince Coleman was generationally bad, but those Mets teams seemed like a mess with or without him. Whereas Jason Bay, again, those teams also were a mess with or without Jason Bay. But the fact that this was just, this is the worst contract we've seen given out as Mets fans. Like maybe if we had more frame of reference, our listeners were a little bit older, but this is like, this is, J this is Jason Bay. Like Jason yeah. Bay, I'll, I'll go. I'll go to my grave being like, that was the worst contract the Mets hopefully ever gave out. Yeah, I, I can get behind Jason Bay too. It really kind of cemented, I think, the Lowell Mets, the beginning of Lowell Mets of like, wow, you signed a stud MVP caliber player and yeah. he literally forgot how to play baseball. So Jason Bay is moving on to the finals. Who will he be facing, Jed Lowry or Aaron Heilman? My vote's Jed Lowry. It's impossible to not pick this guy. He didn't get a hit in two seasons. He didn't play the field. I hate Aaron Heilman. But literally, Jed Lowry had the most minimum impact ever. It was so it was so little that he hurt the team. It wasn't so little he hurt the team. He just hurt the team because they just gave him this money, and then nothing else could be done after that. Where again, like I, I keep saying it, like Heilman, like he, like he, oh god damn, like 2006, he wasn't even bad that season. 2007, That's the same. Like, he was actually good those two years in relief, but he. I don't know. He, he That was the moment where like it all was put in perspective. Like this is going to be a life of, of turmoil and trouble. That's I think that's the difference though between like least favorite Met ever because I think he'd be up there and worst Met. 
Jed Lowry genuinely is just statistically possibly the worst Met ever. Yeah, I think yeah. I think it's a disservice to not have him in the finals. Aaron Heilman had two regular seasons where he was good. Don't make I I hate you're making me defend this guy, but <laughs> I, I got to have my boy Jed Lowry. If you want to leave it up to the coin, we can leave it up to the coin. No, I'm down for Lowry because what you're saying is true. Like he's Heilman is probably my least favorite Met ever, but Lowry statistically, just, I guess he is like the worst. He's the worst Met ever. Never got a hit. And that brings us to a, a banger in the championship, probably one that we could have forecasted from the beginning here. The worst Met of all time, Jason Bay versus Jed Lowry. Mark, where's your lean? <sighs> Man, this one's tough. This one's really, really hard. My brain, my brain says Jed Lowry. My heart says Jason Bay. Because uh, again, Jed Lowry didn't do, literally didn't do a single thing. Jason Bay just kind of ruined little little Mark's brain a little bit. Kind of fucked it up a bit of like, oh, negative things can happen. Like getting beat down with the Cardinals playoff stuff. Like that still stunk, but like you lose games sometimes. We signed what was supposed to be like in my head, like when we got Carlos Beltran, when we got Johan Santana, those caliber players, and he just wasn't that. I think I'm going Jason Bay. I'm, I'm also ready to go Jason Bay. Like my instinct with this from the beginning was just, it's just Jason Bay. And like, that's the moment we were becoming somewhat adults here. Like things were starting to change in our lives. We're going to high school. Like we're starting, we're starting to know a little bit more about the world, this and that. And then he just, it was net. There was never a moment where he was even any good. Like, I guess sucks he got concussed. <laughs> we didn't really know enough about concussions then, but he was bad the whole time for so much money. And he was supposed to kind of be saving David Wright in a way after that bad 2009, like get him back. And like the butterfly effect of the Jason Bay contract probably goes, goes, he goes far beyond our imagination. I think just he has to be the name, the face, and the brand behind the worst Met of all time. Honestly, probably scared the Wilpons a little bit from spending money again, too. Probably did. That money. That whole concept that they said when uh when Bryce Harper and Manny Machado are free agents, hey, we already have a thirty million dollar player. We don't want two. Or we don't yep. need two. Or who has two? Where it's like this, this probably screwed up the next like ten years of of Mets free agency in a way. So Jason Bay, I'm sure you're a really nice guy, but you have gone down according to the Mets Up podcast as the worst New York Met of all time. Guys, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching this episode. Um, if you want to see a, ver a version of this, you want to fill it out yourself, I'll leave a link in the description on both Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the YouTube channel if you want to see that. Before we do sign off here, do we have the Hall of Fame announcements? Do we know who made it? I'm checking right now. I think what I'm seeing is that Sheffield missed it. Okay, that would but make sense to be fair. the big news is that two big things. One sucks. Billy Wagner missed it by five votes. Oh my God, really? That he has one more year in the ballot. So hopefully okay. just one more year of campaigning. I put out a tweet today. Like we tweeted from Mets up. Like I really just think that if if you're a voter for the Hall of Fame and you don't think that Billy Wagner has a case, I, I think we're going to struggle to find a way to put relievers in the Hall of Fame moving forward. Right. And as big as the baseball changes, relievers are coming as big a part of the game as most other positions are. They get more important every single year as pitchers' roles change and uh, evolve. And the fact that Billy Wagner in this generation no one could really touch him besides Mariano Rivera in terms of effectiveness. And now this new generation, Kimbrel and Kenley Jansen, he, you can't, he's one of the best relievers ever. And if he can't get in the hall of fame, I don't know which reliever does. Yeah. It's going to be tough. Uh, we see that there are three guys have been put in Adrian Beltre, of course, makes sense. Todd Helton, shout out Todd Helton deserved to be in there. Glad he got in. And Joe Mauer, can't first ballot hall of famer. Can't that to it. me is shocking. Congratulations to him. I don't want to take anything away from it. For sure. Wouldn't have gotten my vote, especially on the first time, but it also doesn't matter what I think. Congrats to him. He should be happy. He should be excited. He was a borderline guy. That's what I'll say. Like, I think you could go either way. Um, but it is crazy to me that he gets first ballot Hall of Fame and a guy like Mike Piazza did not. I think that's where the Hall of Fame gets a little fucked up. 
Totally. And again, because that's because Maurer never had the stench of steroids. He also only hit more than 13 home runs once his entire career. He, yeah. um, he just, the fact that I think he was like such a heralded prospect from Minnesota, he was football and basketball as well. He was like, Played he, only he was Mr. Athlete. Yeah. Then right to the twins had the MVP season with them. Like, did put together a pretty nice prime, but it's just like he's being evaluated as a catcher. They played more games of first than catcher in his career. Again, only hit more than 13 home runs once, and that year he hit 28. But the seasons around the 20 home run season, it was 7, 9, 28, 9, 3, 10. Like it just, it wasn't, and again, a lot of that was injuries. It was, especially, but he also, most of his career was playing at least 130 games a year as a catcher. Yes, like I, he was. The thing that pisses me off the most about the Hall of Fame is just the irregularity of it. The fact that a yeah. guy like Joe Maurer gets in first ballot, a guy like David Ortiz gets in on first ballot, and guys like Todd Helton and even guy like Jeff Bagwell and especially like let's say call a spade a spade here. Like a lot of these players were connected to steroids. I'm, I mean, again, I'm talking about Dave Ortiz right now, but guys like Alex Rodriguez, Manuel Ramirez, Sammy Sosa, Barry Rafael Palmeira, Barry Bonds do not even get close. And I just, that part of it, I can never understand. These writers are totally subjective and it's there. Like this is their way to just, to just like give themselves their ego stroke every single year. Never forget Tom Verducci cutting the leather and like making that <laughs> beautiful video about voting for the hall of fame. But the inconsistency and the irregularity of these voters pisses me off every single year. Again, like okay. Billy Wagner was, he didn't have the, he didn't have the playoff accolades, Mario Rivera. I'm not comparing no. Mario Rivera. But the fact that Mario Rivera got in unanimously, you yeah. un, not anonymously, unanimously, and Billy Wagner ninth year in the ballot can't find the votes. It's 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 blinding to me. It's bonkers. It's uh, absolutely crazy. Billy, I think we'll get in next year. Hopefully he does. Maybe we'll get him on the podcast. We could talk to him about it. I'd love to. We spoke to him uh, at Old Timers Day, so hopefully he remembers that conversation. But that's it for this episode of the Messed Up Podcast. Thank you guys for... Oh, one more. And David Wright got enough votes to stay on the ballot. Ooh, nice. Good for David Wright. 6.2%. And and apparently, as Fine Sand reports, to close you guys with this, the Mets are connected with Ryan Stanek. So that would Ooh. be a big signing for the Messed Up Podcast. That would prove that David Stearns is listening in. 100%, because there's been no rumors anywhere. So it's no. just been James Shiano pushing the Stanek train along. Uh, here's the third time outro. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for watching. Follow us on our social media at MetsUp. Subscribe to our podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, whatever it is. Uh, we really do appreciate you. Follow James on Twitter at James underscore Shiano. And me at Mark with a C. Thank you guys for listening and watching, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Messed Up Podcast. Peace out. Peace out. See you guys next time.